Good morning. I just just moments ago got a text from somebody um, that said uh, it was a picture of hot and cold Minnesota, uh, and it said, "If you can't handle me at my worst, then you don't deserve me in my other worst." <laughs> right? <laughs> Boy, some, summer <laughs> hit hard and hit quick. Right? Like really. Really, really warm, really, really hot, but uh, man, we're so, so thankful for you guys, so glad that you guys are here uh, this morning. Thanks, Brady, for leading. We're so, he's already gone, cool, all right. Um, I don't know what's happening. Um, so hey, really quick, how many of you guys, is, and I'm, there might be nobody in this room, I'm not sure, how many of you guys drive a Jeep? Does anybody here drive a Jeep? One, two, three. Three, just a few of us. Okay, so I don't know if you know this uh, about Jeep uh, culture, is that when you drive a Jeep and if you see another Jeep uh, on the road, there is an obligation that you have to wave to the other person. And it's not like this Midwestern, just kind of this night polite wave, it's, it's, it's almost intimate, it's a little strange, right? So like you're, you're passing a Jeep, you're supposed to make eye contact, which may be unsafe, I don't know. Um, you make eye contact and you share what I might call a moment. <laughs> as you wave at each other, this wave, and it's this, intentional, it's this intentional wave. Like to say, I acknowledge you. You and I are a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are a part of something together. It's really kind of what it is. It's, it's, it's really bizarre. It's super strange. Uh, and yet, that's the way that it is. And, and what's funny is that um, when you share a moment with people as you pass them, here's what's strange. It could be any person on the road. And yet, as I think about that, I go, I may have nothing, like zero, nothing else in common with that person. <laughs> right? Then we might like totally opposite foods. They may hate Jesus and hate church, right? There might be total opposites, and yet we have one thing in common that unites us and makes us family, and it's the fact that you drive a Jeep. That's just the way it is. It's weird. Um, it's also true with motorcycles, and so I, I don't own a motorcycle anymore, but I used to own a motorcycle, and I remember... Many years ago, I was driving uh, home from church on my, on my motorcycle, and uh, as I was turning the corner, I noticed uh, this younger person uh, uh, kind of approaching in the other lane, and he's, he's riding a moped uh, or a scooter, and he looks at me. So like normally as a motorcyclist, when you, when you see another motorcyclist, you, you acknowledge them by putting your hand down, and it's just kind of like this small, short wave. Um, and it's, again, it's, we're part of the same tribe, so to speak. And so I'm turning the corner and I see this, this younger guy come at me on his moped and he looks at me and goes like this. <laughs> and I thought, what, what is he doing? I, don't, I, I couldn't figure out what he was doing. And so I just kept going my way. Two weeks later, um, I see the same person in the exact same spot. It's like our, our schedules were in sync. I, it was super weird. And so I pass him on the same corner. He does the same thing. He looks at me and goes, and I thought, man, I still don't understand. About six weeks later, time passes, and I see the same kid in the exact same spot. And he is determined to get my attention. <laughs> So he's on this moped, right, and he's driving, and what he does is that he sees me, and he takes his hands, and he t repositions his whole body on his scooter, looks at me, and goes, 
like off the side. And I was like, what in the world? And immediately in this moment, I realized what he was doing. It was, it was the motorcycle wave. And I was like, my first thought was, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> That's not the way it works. And my second thought, and I just, and I feel really bad about this, and so you can judge me for this, but, but my first thought was, you and I do not belong in the same tribe. <laughs> I have a 600cc racing motorcycle, you have a moped, no thank you. <laughs> it's not the same. And so immediately I was like, you don't belong in my clan, you don't belong in my tribe. And the, the, I was like turning the corner thinking it's, it's like split second stuff and the spirit just like punched me in the heart. And he was like, Seth, what this kid wants is to belong. He wants to be accepted. He wants to be a part of something bigger than himself. And so in this moment, as I realized this, I thought, okay, so I have a choice. Do I wave or do I not wave? And so in this moment, as he's still, you know, like this, and I just put my hand down, and he turned back in his seat with the biggest smile, like, I finally fit. Like, I belong in a group, even though it's a moped. <laughs> it's not the same. And yet, I thought about this in this moment, and it's to, for a long time I've reflected on this, that at the end of the day, what we as human beings long for is to be a part of a life-giving community. We long to be a part of a family, of a community. We long to be in relationships with each other where we share all of our hopes and all of our dreams, all of our aspirations, all of our pains, our sorrows, our sin, our guilt, our shame. We long to be a part of a community and as a family. We want our story to have significance and we want that story to be intertwined with other people's story as we share this journey together. And as I think about coming out of COVID and as I think about even where we're at as a church, as I've been praying and praying and praying, God, what would you have us do this summer? Um, it was just overwhelming as the Spirit just aligned this in my heart. What we need is about relationships and community and family, right? That's what we need ultimately. Uh, and this is not a foreign concept. This should not be a foreign concept to the church, that's what the church is supposed to be. The body of believers is not a building. It's a group of people who love each other. And it reminded me of something that I read uh, in a book uh, that was written by a guy named Jimmy Callum, who's one of my mentors. And in his book, he said this. He said, I long, I long for a church where what is most important is the life that we share with other people. What I long for in a church What's most important is not the programs, it's not Bible studies, it's not even Sunday morning services. As good as all of those things are, and as fundamental and as intrinsic as they are to the growth that we need in Jesus, what those do is that they, they are there to facilitate relationships, to facilitate community, first and foremost, between me and my creator but also between me and other people. And so what's most important about church is actually the relationships, the life that we do with other people. And so this morning, 
Uh, My goal uh, is just to introduce, we're not going to unpack a big, powerful, I mean, we have great texts, but I'm not going to unpack a ton. I just want to introduce the summer series for us this morning, and we're calling it Risking Church. And you go, man, that seems like a risk. That's scary. Just hang on. Stay with me, okay? Um, We're going to be breaking the series into kind of two parts. The first part is where does intentional community begin? And that's where we're going to start that conversation today uh, and do that for several weeks. And then in the end, we'll talk about where does intentional or what does intentional community look like? So as the rubber hits the road, what do these relationships really get looked like, lived out? What do they look like in real life? And so the entire time we're going to be answering this question, really, why choosing to be fully known is worth? the risk, because it is a choice. I have to choose how much I reveal about who I am and what's going on in my life. And there's tons of fear that's involved in this process, right? Like, but we long to be fully known. And I, don't, I would argue that we don't long to be fully known partially. And that's what we do oftentimes in a given day, in a given week, in a given year, is that we we give out these little chunks of ourselves to other people. Um, But there's lots of fear involved in what we give and what we take and what what we hold on to, what's deep, dark inside, the things that I would never choose to tell people. But we long, I would argue, it's part of our nature, being made in the image of God, which we'll talk about in a second, is that we long to be fully known with nothing to hide. We long for relationships in the way that God designed us to be in relationships. And that stems from the Bible story. That stems from the entire Bible story. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to summarize for you what I would do as how I would summarize the Bible story uh, for uh, us this morning. So I'm going to come back to my, uh, my trusty board um, over here. And so this is what I would say kind of the four main chapters of our Bible story. So you've got uh, creation. This starts from Genesis 1, goes all the way to Revelation. Genesis is the creation story uh, in chapters 1 and 2. Then we enter into chapter 3, and there's this weird thing that happens. And we as Christians oftentimes refer to this as the fall. And that's kind of this Christianese language, but it really is about when sin enters into the world. And then you have Jesus, and then you obviously have the end of the story. So if I were to draw this out really quick for us, right, you guys just, I'm just, just do this like this, kind of looks like a, actually a big piece of broccoli, that's supposed to be a tree, um, which represents life, like when God created everything, um, everything was perfect and in right order, right working order, um, and, uh, and he called it good, and there was life. But when it happens in chapter 3, as, the, as Adam and Eve, as man and woman, as they actively disobey God, what happens is that death enters into the world. And so what once was life is now actually death. And so there's death between uh, us and the Father, between us and God. And then you have redemption, which is this, you know, this kind of little piece where Jesus enters into the story, right? And it's this little new spark of growth, and he brings new life into the world. It's not fully present yet, because the end has not yet come, but he creates the opportunity. So life, death, and new life becomes, and then in the end of the story, you have kind of this eternal sun 
sunshine, right? The sun in all of its glory is there will be no darkness forevermore. It's eternal life. And that's really the story um, of the Bible in kind of four big chunks. And it takes thousands and thousands of years. And we don't know when the end will come. Only the Father knows that piece of the story. And that's kind of where we're at. But what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to focus on the first two uh, this morning. This redemption piece we'll talk a little bit more about next week. But what can we learn about relationships and community and family from these first two chapters, the creation and the fall? So where do we start? We start in the beginning of the story, which is Genesis. So if you could open, if you've got a Bible, open up your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 1. Here we go. And here's what it says. It says, in the beginning, right? In the beginning. This is the very beginning of the story. In the beginning, who? Man? No, not man. This is not man's story. The, the first, in the first four words, what we've just learned is that this is not a story about man. This is a story about God. This is God's story. He is the main character. We are minor characters in a much bigger scheme of things. And God ultimately is the main character. And so in the beginning was God, right? In the beginning, God. And so I want to come back to uh, or border here for a second because I want to just pause because before this story even begins, like, see, we tend to see the story, right? through our lens, and this is all that we can potentially see. Uh, we are limited on, in our knowledge, and so this is the only story that we really know. But in the beginning, before even all that, even John 1, right, was God. So you have this, right? You, this is who, before the story even begins is the being, is the person of God. And so what we need to do is, is we understand, right, is that for all of eternity, God has existed, as mind-boggling as that is, but he is outside of this story. He interacts with and engages with the story and in different ways at different times, but he is an eternal being. And so we have to see that while we would normally read this story through our lens, if God is the main character, we have to learn to see the Bible or this story, the one comprehensive story through God's eyes, through his lens. And one of the things that we learn about in the Bible, which is super, um, really kind of mind-boggling, is this idea that God actually exists in what we tend to refer as the Trinity. It's this, it's this three distinct, eternal, co-equal, divine persons. And so you have God, the Father, you have God, the Son, and you have God, the Holy Spirit, right? And it's, it's mind-boggling and it's baffling that this is the way that it works, right? But this is what the Bible teaches about us. It teaches about mankind in relationship to God, right? God, before the beginning of the world, existed in this dynamic relationship with himself. If you check out this, um, um, this next slide, you'll see uh, the EFCA statement of faith. We have a really strong uh, denomination when it comes to our theological doctrine, really, really good. And this is what we say about God. It says, we believe in one God. So this is, this is the paradox, right? We believe in one God. There is one, but he, and he is the creator of all things, holy infinitely perfect and eternally existing in a loving unity 
of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. This is what we believe about God. He's one God, but he exists in these three persons. That's mind-boggling, and it's baffling, but it's a mystery to us, but it's a mystery that we embrace because it's incredibly amazing. Uh, Eden is actually in uh, this why phase. Our daughter Eden is in, a, is in the why phase. Like, why, why, why? And so she was looking at a question mark the other day. As Nikki was interacting with her uh, on something, she looked at a question mark, and Eden said, this is... This is a mystery. Yeah. That's kind of what a question mark is. It means we don't have an answer. And sometimes questions are answered, but some don't. Like, this is one of those things where we go, this is a mystery. As mind-boggling, as baffling as it is, it's a mystery that we embrace because it's very, very important. This is not just some random fact that, that we believe about what Scripture teaches. In fact, it's incredibly important because it bears lots of significance on us as Christians, as followers of this God, it has tremendous importance to us because of this relational reality. Relational reality. I love the, that, that phrase. Because God, who is one in three distinct persons, has this eternal, right, dynamic relationship within a community within himself. So since before the time began, and really for all of eternity, which is something that we cannot begin to grasp, but, but for all of eternity, guess what? Relationship, community, family, right? This is who we come from, right? And it's so important because God is not detached. He is not isolated. He is not like he's the single solo guy in the middle of some esoteric reality twiddling his thumbs, not talking to anybody or talking to himself like a crazy person. No, he has himself as a three, as a community, as a relationship that he engages with the entire time. And that's so tremendously important. And what I love about this is in his relationship, there's no fighting for dominance. There's no arguing. There's no imperfection, right? They all exist co-equally in harmony and peace and the way that that's, that's what it means to be God, right? And so he's fully known. Each person in the Trinity is fully known to the other and none of them have anything to hide. It's not like Jesus is withholding something from God the Father. It's not like the Holy Spirit is withholding something from Jesus. They all are perfect together in this way. And so as the story then unfolds, right? So this is God for all of eternity, pre-story, is in this relationship, which has tremendous bearing on us as Christians because we're created in what? The image of God. So as the story continues, right, in this, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But as he does this, as he creates everything in the known world, here's my question. Who does God have to interact with before man? Nobody. You see, God who's in relationship has basically just created a giant petting zoo. He's like, that's a, that's a good Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know, oh, you're so cute. You're so cuddly. Right? That's, but there's nobody for him to interact with. 
God is in relationship with himself. And so what does he do? In Genesis 1, 26, he creates man and he says, right? He says, then God said, let us, reference to the Trinity, let us, the three of us, make man in whose image? Our image. So, so God creates man. So if we come back to our board here, so come back to our story, right? So you've got God who is here, and then he creates mankind, right? Um, and so God who is in community and in relationship with himself, out of his community, he creates man for community with himself, right? He, he engages with him in a very intimate and personal way. But as he looks at Adam, he notices this is something that is wrong, something that's missing. Because Adam now has really nobody to be in community with. And so what does God do? He creates woman, right? And so then the two together as are in this relationship. God has created them, and he basically blesses them and says, I want you to, to make family. I want you to be a family, to make community, and I want you to take the goodness that I've imprinted upon you, and I want you to take that into the world and create community. And so the natural state for man and woman in the created order and before things go wrong is this, is that they are fully known to each other. Like they're, they're fully naked, so there's nothing to hide physically, there's nothing to hide emotionally, there's nothing to hide spiritually. Everything is the way that it is supposed to be, right? It is tov, it is good, and the way that God has designed it, and that's the thing. But then what happens is something crazy, and we turn to Genesis chapter 3, and this is where the fall enters in, death enters into the story. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And here's what he said. He says, he said to the woman, did God actually say, catch that word actually, did he actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And so what happens is that in this moment, right, the, the accuser enters into the story. And what he does is that he, he introduces this tiny little lie, this, this moment of deception. And mankind, in, in our lack of infinite knowledge, we are drawn into that lie. We are drawn into the deception. And as I'm drawn into the deception, what happens is that I begin to doubt I begin to think, yeah, what did God say? Did he say this? Did he say that? What did he mean by that? And out of that comes this desire, this inordinate, unnatural desire for wrong things. And so we start moving and gravitating. Our disposition, which once was to obey God, is now is moving to take what I think in life is good. This is what I need for life to be good. And what happens is that as, as man and woman, they reach, they take the fruit, they, they do this active disobedience. Active disobedience and sin enters into the world. And so as we come back to our creation story, as sin enters into the world, here's what happens. There's now brokenness. This, this division, this chasm, this ultimate, because the result of sin is death. Death has now entered into the world. Actually, I should draw this over here. I did that wrong, sorry. 
right? So you've got Adam and Eve. And what happens is that is now divided, right? And so we can't cross this line to get back to God, right? This is the way it is. But not only is my relationship with God broken, now I also have this broken relationship, this tension with other people. And that's the way that death enters into our relationships. And what happens for man and woman in the garden is that they begin to feel all this shame and all of this guilt, and they begin to wrestle deeply. Just, oh gosh, like I can't believe what's happening, all of this gross, all of this mess that's happening inside of us. And then what happens is that out of that mess comes this fear that all of a sudden I am now afraid. For the very first time, these people are afraid of what the result is of what they have just done. And in their fear, as God enters into the garden and he's looking for Adam and Eve, they scramble and they run and they hide and they cover themselves and they, and they point fingers and they blame each other. And that's what they do. And we begin to think, man, this is, this is, this is the way the relationships work now. What once, the natural state was that you and I would be fully known to each other and have nothing to hide. But now, as soon as entered into the world, it is totally flipped upside down, and I have everything to hide. And in my scrambling, in my long for relationships, I withdraw back into the shadows. And I cover myself out of fear because I don't want to be known, because I'm scared of what is inside, all of this mess that is inside of me. I'm afraid of that. And this is where Jesus then enters into the story. This is the redemption story. So if we come back, right, you've got, you've got God right here. There's still this brokenness. You've still got uh, Adam and Eve and their brokenness, right? There's this tension. But as Jesus enters into, this, into the scene, he takes this division and he brings the cross. And as he brings the cross, what he's now done is that he's opened up the possibility for me to be in right relationship with God. And he's also opened up the opportunity for me to be in right relationship with other people. Now, the hard thing about this is that even though we said this is new life entering into the world, but it's not fully present because there's still all of the effects of all of this brokenness, all of the deception, the sin, the desires, the doubts, the shame, the guilt, the fears, the hiding, the blaming, all of that still exists over here. But the reality is, is that there is new life in the person and the works of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? That's the story, right? That's where Jesus enters in. And we're going to talk more about that this next week as we look at safety. As we continue this piece of like, where does community begin? Uh, it begins with safety and acceptance. As I begin to understand my new identity in Christ and what he has done for me. And we'll even reference that as we do communion today is what we celebrate is what Jesus restores and what he redeems. But here's this tension. Here's this tension for us in, in the Christian life right now. The tension is, is that there's this massive mess entangled inside of me. 
I'm broken, I have doubt, I have desires, I have sin, I have fear, I have shame, I have guilt, I have the tendency to run and hide, to withdraw into the shadows, that's the tension. And yet, at the exact same time, simultaneously, because whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it doesn't matter, because you are made in the image of God simultaneously as you are withdrawing, what you want to do is you want to step forward. And you want to enter into community where you are fully known with nothing to hide because that's who God is. You see why that's important? That's the Trinity. And that's why it makes an impact on us today. And so I begin to think about this risking church, right? It's it's a risk for us to begin to think about church this way, isn't it? What if church, the most important thing, was about the life that we actually did together, that it was about relationships? And we go, man, that's a risk. There's lots of fear there. This choosing to be fully known with nothing to hide, right? That's a risk. And I'm convinced that there are times when I feel like those front doors of the church are magical because we walk through the doors and all of that mess goes whoop. And our face comes up, and it's like, how are you doing? Oh, good, I'm good, I'm good, good. How are you really doing? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, good. No, how are you really doing? Just struggling. I'm just struggling, right? There's this magical power. And here's my question. If we go back to the Jeep and the motorcycle story, what if instead of looking at people the way that I looked at that moped guy, you don't belong in my tribe. What if instead of looking at the things that separate us, that make us different? What if we focused on the things that we had in common? Because at the end of the day, we're all broken. We're all waiting for the end of the story. We're all waiting for the moment in which God will finally make all of this right. And if I have nothing else in common with another person, I at least have one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And guess what? That's enough. That's enough for genuine, authentic, rich, vibrant, life-giving community. If we would take the step and choose to risk that and to be known, right? So here's the deal. As I wrap up, here's what I just want to finish with this. Because here's, here's where we are in this story, is somewhere down here, right? We're post-redemption. We don't know how much longer until the end of the story. But this day is drawing near. This day is getting closer and closer with every hour, with every second that passes, this day in which the world will finally be made right. What was broken over here will finally be made right with each second that passes. And we don't know when that is, but it makes me think of this passage. I want you to hear this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. And maybe you have these verses memorized by heart. I love this. Here's what he says in 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Faithful. Guess what? The God who started the story is going to be faithful to finish it. Right? He's going to be faithful to finish it. That's what he's saying. But let's hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering as the story continues. Verse 24, he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That word stir is only found one other time in the New Testament, and it's when Paul and Barnabas disagree. And they are stirred up, and they are divided. They're stirred up against each other. 
right? And here it's used as the opposite. It's the stirring up towards love and good deeds. It's provoking one another to love and good deeds. And check this out, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, there was people in their time who were giving up on working on relationships because the day was drawing near. I'll just withdraw, I'll be isolated. And what he says is that that's not the way it works. The more this day gets closer, the more we should be going deeper. The more we should be stirring one another, one another up to love and good deeds. And that can't happen unless we are in close proximity to each other if we're doing these intentional relationships with each other. Because when COVID came into the world, it flipped the world upside down. And it flipped community and relationships upside down, and it, and it pushed us into isolation. And there are a ton of reasons for us to remain isolated. We could do that, we can choose that, but here's what I would tell you, you can't deal with your mess in isolation. You can't deal with that brokenness in your isolation. Uh, if you remove yourself from community, then you will remove yourself from the very conduit from which God gave us to experience his grace. Community is so important. Family is so important. And when I think about COVID, it's not as time for us to pull back. It's a time to dig deeper in. It's a time for us to invest intentionally in relationships, to build community, and to build family. We have the opportunity to reforge the relational culture of church. Reforge the relational culture of church where doing life with people is the most important thing. That's, that's biblical. It stems all the way back from the Trinity. I love how the gospel and all that it does can be traced all the way back to the Trinity. This desire for relationship, to restore, to redeem, and to be in relationship. I want to go ahead and invite the worship team uh, to come uh, on up. Um, but I just want to say this as they're coming up. I, I get it, that risking church, this idea of uh, choosing to be fully known, it's messy and it is hard and it feels like a risk. But I would say, guys, it is a greater risk to not be known because it keeps us from experiencing grace the way that we need it, which then keeps us from growing. Right? We need community. And so my challenge to us would be let's take a risk and let's foster family. Let's foster community in a rich, intentional, life-giving way. I'm gonna give you three, um, three quick questions here. Um, we're gonna take communion. Uh, but the first one is this. I'm kind of reversing the cave table road for today. And for the table moment, instead of giving you a question, uh, I'm just gonna say that today's communion is gonna be our time for communion. Right? That's where we're going to commune. We're going to be a community. We're going to do this together as we partake in the Lord's Supper together. So that's what we're going to do. Um, but here's my road challenge for you this week. It's very simple. Um, but here's the deal. I think that sometimes the simplest things are the most um, helpful for us because then it's attainable, it's achievable as we begin to take baby steps towards, these, towards this culture. So uh, have an authentic, vulnerable conversation with someone outside of church today or this week. Um, 
And in a moment, we're going to take communion, and I'm going to give you a time to pray. Um, but just so you know, just kind of some of the boundaries or the guidelines we have for communion here, um, we're going to use um, this opportunity to do it together. But, I, but I, what I want you to know is that you don't need to be a member uh, um, here at Salem in order to partake in communion in the Lord's Supper. All that we ask is that you have a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Uh, but we do ask each time, myself included, that if there's something in your heart that is unresolved with the Lord, that you would turn to him and that you would confess that and you would repent in that time. And so if you have not gotten um, a, um, um, like a, the little plastic things that have the, the bread and the juice in there, raise your hand and somebody will come around and give that to you. But here's what I'd like to do. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds before we start. Um, there's gonna be a song that's played by the worship team, Broken Vessels, and, and as they play, um, you know, just be thinking, and then I'll come up and we'll partake together. But 30 seconds before we start this song, I want to give you to pray. And so here's cave. Here's my cave thing for you guys this morning, right now. Start your prayer with this and continue it however you need. Ask God, Lord, draw me close to you and close to others. May I be fully known and fully know your grace. <laughs> 